us. We're in a series we've called Vintage. Week one of this series, we talked about vintage roles. What does it look like for our roles in marriage? There are God-honoring, timeless principles in His Word uh, that He wants us to live by that honestly will bless our lives and our marriages. This term vintage is the idea of old. Sometimes vintage gets just mistaken for just old when you say vintage. It just means old, but that's not the truth. Vintage is some things that are old, like the Bible. We see the Bible as old. It is older, right? It's thousands of years old. The Old Testament, 5,000 plus years, and the New Testament, over 2,000 years old. And culture would teach us that it's archaic, that it's outdated, that it's irrelevant, that there are principles taught in Scripture that have not kept up with the times. And that's true. There are principles taught in Scripture that, quote-unquote, have not kept up with the times. It's because the Bible, we believe, is timeless. We believe that God is omnipresent everywhere, past, present, and future. Not that He will be in the future, that He is in the future. Not that He was there, He is. It's it's one of those theological ideas that are kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. But he's God, and if God's not bigger than what we can figure out, is he really God? And that's really what we believe. We believe that God is all-powerful and all-present, omnipresent, meaning that he was, when the Bible, when he inspired the Scriptures, he was past, present, and future. He knew he was able to reach into the future, knowing what life would be like today, knowing what it was back then, knowing what it will be in the future, uh, even from now. And he was able to inspire and pen a letter, a love letter to us, humanity, that would l allow us to govern our lives in a way that would honor him. The Bible, we believe, at Cultivate Church is the basis on which we live our lives as followers of Jesus. It's vintage. Yeah, it's old. But boy, it carries a lot of value in how we live our lives, at least for my family and here at our church and our leadership and, uh, and what we teach here at Cultivate Church is the Bible is the basis on which we decide everything. And we don't always get that right. We're human, right? All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned and fallen short. But thankfully, because of his grace, his mercy is new, and it allows us to come back to him every day boldly to the throne of God and allow him to guide us and teach us. And today, we're going to be in week three of this series we've titled Vintage. If you've got your notes, you can pull those up there on your computer, or maybe you have them, maybe you've printed them off or you're prepared, or maybe you're riding on the road, you're listening to a podcast. I would encourage you maybe at some point to pull these notes out, print them off, and follow along in some way, form, or fashion with us, because what you write down, you'll remember 80% of the things you write down. You're only going to remember 20% of the things you just hear. And my hope is that we allow some principles in our lives today that make the biggest difference, that can help us to live our life on purpose in a way that honors the Lord. Our theme verse is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. We can read that together. It says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. We've said this for the last three weeks, but I don't believe 
there's no, there's no more of a relevant time in history that this passage of Scripture should be speaking to us. This was penned thousands of years ago, and I can only imagine the things that Paul was thinking about as he penned this Scripture even for his own short-term future. But man, we've never lived in a time in my life where this is more so true than it's ever been. A time is coming where people will no longer listen to sound, wholesome teaching. They're going to follow their own desires. What's he saying? Their own feelings, their own emotions, their own preconceived ideas. I know what you're saying, but that's not how I feel. I know what the Bible says, but I can't reconcile, with, I can't reconcile that with how I feel. And culture has largely gone, made the decision to go the way of emotions, to go the way of our feelings. So week one, we talked about that. What does it look like for me to submit to my husband as a wife? What does it look like for me to love my wife like Christ loved the church? What does it look like for me to actually enjoy my marriage? God designed it, right? He wanted us to enjoy our marriages as contrary to what culture would actually teach. Week two, we talked about some forgotten filters. Building off of that, if we're going to have God-honoring marriages, God-honoring relationships, then there are some ways, some things in which I need to filter the life that I live. There are some principles in God's Word, some vintage filters laid out in Scripture in which I can filter my life through, filter my decisions through. I need to filter my mind. I need to filter my heart, filter my hands, the things that I do so that I can live a life that honors God and honor my family. And today I want to talk to you about the vintage rule. What, what rule are we talking about? There's a rule historically called the golden rule. I would say that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never, maybe you're a young believer, maybe you've never read the Bible before, you've probably heard of the golden rule, the vintage rule, the rule in which we live our life by. I would even say this, that Jesus spoke about this rule and thousands of years later, society has yet to build upon it. In other words, nobody's really been able to take this rule that Jesus laid out, this principle to live our lives by, and actually expound upon it, make it better. It's God speaking to us. And here's what it says. You can see it there in your notes in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, that's a great thing to underline, everything, all things, no other translation, in any language you would speak it, all things, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You may not know this, but there are well over 600 individual laws written out in the Pentateuch in the first five books of the Old Testament. There are hundreds of laws, and I actually, if you even place the principles laid out throughout history on how to even obey and follow those laws, thousands of different principles that, in which we should live our lives if we're gonna live a life that's holy, completely holy to the Lord. There's no way we can actually do all of those things. And Jesus, all of those laws, all of those rules and regulations, Jesus says they're all summed up in this golden rule, vintage rule. So in everything that you do, do unto others what you would have them to do to you. What a crazy scripture, right? 
You mean everything that I need to do in my life, everything is summed up. If I'm going to live a life that honors God, this vintage rule, if I can just live by this rule, it's summed up, sums up the entirety of the gospel. Pretty much. Treat others like you want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. What does it look like for me to be able to do that? And you would look like that as a believer. We would all just talk together in a circle and you go, well, that's a great principle. It's, that's really, it sounds really good. But what about when people are just difficult? Bingo. That sounds great, except people exist, right? That sounds awesome, except I don't like my coworkers. That sounds great, except I can't really stand my husband or my wife right now. It sounds great, but... There's this people in my life that I just can't seem to get along with. Well, I want to share with you some principles that I think are laid out in Scripture, some timeless vintage principles that will help us to live by this vintage rule. It's an acronym called SALT. You know, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus talks about this to, uh, to his disciples. They're all kind of being prideful and talking about how they're kind of arrogant about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who's going to be the best, who's going to get to sit next to Jesus on his throne when eternity gets here. And he looks at his disciples and he tells them this. He says, you guys just don't get it. He said, unless you can become the least of these, you'll never be the greatest in the kingdom. He said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you need to learn how to become the least of these on earth, how to, how to, how to, how to live a life completely in servitude to other people. He says it this way. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You give flavor to the earth. And if salt loses its saltiness, it's worth nothing. You are the flavor to the world, the Bible says. Jesus tells his disciples, if you want to be the greatest Add some flavor. Add the appropriate amount of flavor to the world around you. So I'm going to share with you this acronym. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the, to SALT. Four things, simple things, steps that I think will help us deal with difficult people. How do we begin to live our life on purpose in a way that honors Jesus with this vintage rule, even with the people that we just cannot take? Jesus said it this way. He said, he said it's easy to love people that love you. It's easy to love people and, and to, to, to do good to those who are good to you. But what about the people that you just can't handle? That's the essence of the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were an enemy, he still loved us and cared for us and made a way for us. So let's pray and let's dive in. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word. It's alive and breathing. It corrects us. It molds us. It shapes us. It inspires us. And it prepares us for every good work. And so, God, we breathe it in today. We're thankful for it. I pray that it molds us today. Do what only you can do. Perform spiritual surgery on our hearts, wherever we're tuning in from, that it is life-changing to us today, that we walk away from this message inspired to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you and let it make the greatest difference in our, in our current circumstance and sphere of influence and through eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, how do I add a little salt to these relationships that are struggling? Number one, you need to serve them. Serve them. Now, I would say that these are going to be challenging principles. It's hard for me to want to serve someone that I'm just not getting along with. It's difficult, me, difficult for me to want to serve someone, no strings attached, that I just can't seem to handle very well. But the Bible reminds us about it in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. 
We just talked about it. He sat down. He called the 12 disciples over to him. And he said, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be servant of everyone else. Come on, as they're bickering back and forth of who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, if you want to have all of the accolades, if you want to be first ahead of everyone else, you must take the position, the posture of a servant. In a culture that is all about being noticed and served and awarded, King Jesus points us in the right direction, saying, serve those who are difficult. Serve those around you. The principle of serving really is this. God notices the servant first. I love the fact that when Jesus would walk into a room, all of these people would want to be noticed and all of these people would want to be first and all of these people would push and grab and get a, and push everybody else out of the way so that they could be noticed. And Jesus always seemed to notice the least of these first. Always. There's plenty of principles, I mean, plenty of stories all throughout Scripture that you can point to. Walking through crowds and the least of these touching him and him going, who touched me? And it was a woman who had been outcast for 12 years. And they go, who touched you? All these important people around, they've all touched you, Jesus. Jesus said, no, something else happened. He noticed. Walking through a crowd on a street, thousands of people gathering around Jesus. And the one man in the, in the street that everybody hated climbed on top of a tree because he was small in stature and hated by everyone around him. No one wanted to stand near him. And Jesus notices Zacchaeus. I'm going to go to lunch with you today. Jesus was well known to spend time with the least of these servants in the room. The night before Jesus died, the greatest example he could have given us, what do, you, what do I want you to do when I'm not here? What do I want you to do when I've gone to the Father? He wraps a towel around his waist and he gets on his hands and knees and he serves what historically is the, low, he does what historically is the lowest form of servitude in his day. He washed his disciples' feet. You got to become the least of these. No joy can equal the joy of serving others. Jesus even said it, it's better to give than to receive. I've learned in my own faith journey that as I serve those, especially those difficult to be around, especially those who I can't seem to muster up the, 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 the desire or the fortitude to spend time with, difficult people in my life, come on, you're already thinking of people right now. If I sacrifice my own pride and I place my own pot and I posture my own self to wash their feet, to serve them, it changes my attitude. It changes my mindset. It changes my perspective. God notices the servant first. God, you're going to have to help me deal with these people. I just can't handle that attitude. I can't handle that prideful, that arrogance. I can't handle that. I can't, I'm not doing this with that person. I've tried too many times. We just can't seem to make it work. Serve them. Find ways to serve those people difficult in your life. And I promise you, you'll actually begin to see God change your perspective. Albert Einstein says, only a life lived in the service of others is worth living. If you'll posture yourself to serve, especially those difficult people in your life, it might change your perspective. Add a little salt. Serve. Number two, I love this one. Learn to appreciate. Appreciate them. I love this passage of scripture in Philemon. It's a small little book. If you say, I'm gonna, I need to read scripture. I've never read a book in the Bible. Start with this one. It's the smallest one. It's one chapter. 
Philemon verses 4 and 5, Paul lays out some appreciation in a very difficult conversation. Paul is bringing back a runaway slave to Philemon. And it's not slavery like we think. Most in those days, people, um, people paid back debts through slavery. People had, uh, had, that was more along the lines of probably what had happened. This guy owed Philemon tons and tons of resource or money, and he was probably paying back a debt he owed through serving him and serving out time to pay back that debt. And he was a runaway and probably had taken things with him and probably had lived, had left a very bitter taste in this man's mouth. And somehow he meets Paul Paul leads him to salvation in Jesus, and then he comes back and has to have a very difficult conversation with Philemon. And and what does he say before even having all of this difficult conversation? He says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. He knows he's having to have a difficult conversation. If you read that chapter, it's hard. It's a hard conversation to have to have. Paul is telling Philemon, I know you're going to do the right thing. I'm encouraging you to make the right decision, even when you don't want to. Have you ever been faced with a decision that everything in you wants to make one decision, but you know the right decision? Come on, you've been there. We've all been there. We've all been in that circumstance in our own life. And Paul is trying to help him make the right decision. He's having a hard conversation. And he's showing lots, lots of appreciation because he loves him deeply. Did you know it's easy to be negative about people in life? It's easy to see a decision that you disagree with and just have a complaining attitude about people. But I've discovered that I'll always find what I'm looking for. If I look for negative everywhere, I'm going to find it. If I look for the negative in the person that I just don't seem to jive with, that I, the difficult people in my life, I can always find the negative in those people. But I've learned that if I can begin to look for the positive, even in difficult people, I can begin to see God will illuminate through the power of the Holy Spirit positive little pockets in these relationships that he can expand on, that he can begin to grow and build on. It's a timeless vintage principle that when I appreciate others, when I serve them, when I appreciate them, the Lord begins to change my perspective about them. Did you know that people will always rise to the level of gratitude and appreciation you show for them? You can see this, many of you own businesses or, uh, or employers of some way, form or fashion. The more appreciation, the more employees are appreciated and cared for and they feel valued, the more they're willing to be a part of what the vision and mission is of your organization. Isn't that true? They will always rise to the level of gratitude and appreciation. That same thing happens relationally. That same thing happens even with difficult people in your life. If you can find a way to not always rub friction, not always butt heads, but find ways to serve and show absolute gratitude and appreciation for people, you'll see that people begin to rise to that level of appreciation and, uh, and gratitude. Gratitude and attitude are always are all, they can be chosen. They're not challenges. It's not a challenge. It's, it's an expectation. It's a choice that you can live out. I can choose to be thankful for something in just about every person. Think of the most difficult person in your life right now. You can choose to begin to look for the positive. Even the people who have more negative in their life going on, making bad decisions in their life, what is the positive that you can begin to draw out? What are some things that you can begin to focus on and look for 
that would make the biggest difference prospectively. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't always look at the negative in your life? I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that the Lord chose to weed through the mountains of negativity in my life to find the purpose and plan that he saw in me. That God didn't call me and, and label me by my mistakes. That he didn't label me by my decisions, but he called out purpose in me. I can imagine that my relationship with him, I, I, am, I am a difficult person to the Lord. But he chooses to appreciate. He chooses to call out good and purpose in me. You will always find what you're looking for in everything, especially in relationships and especially in difficult relationships. And I know that a person who feels appreciated will always do more than expected. They will always rise to the level of appreciation and expectation, uh, the appreciation and gratitude that you give them. If we can begin, Anthony Robbins says it this way, if you can begin to trade your expectations into appreciation, turn them, swap them out, the world will change for you. I believe that. If you can begin to convert all of those unmet expectations from these difficult relationships in your life, turn them into appreciation for the good things that are coming out of it, God will revolutionize your perspective on the world around you. Difficult people add a little salt. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to appreciate them. Number three, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Think about that passage of Scripture. Love is not circumstantial. Love is not based on what someone else does for me. My love for difficult people in my life is not if they stop being difficult. It's not if they make some changes. Well, I can invest a little more in them if they'll they'll invest a little more in me. Love is not circumstantial. Though while we were still sinners, God so loved the world that he gave. Love is an action. Love is what I do. How can I begin to intangibly, physically love those around me? Am I loving those around me? Is my love circumstantial? Right now, think of the relationships in your life, the difficult people in your life. Think about that right now. Is it all circumstantial? Have I written people off just because they're difficult? Or have I intentionally served them, appreciated them, and and tangibly loved them? Never given up. I've not lost faith. I'm always hopeful. I've endured through every difficult circumstance. I'm going to share with you four ways to love people I think are very helpful, and they've been helpful in my own life. Number one, you need to do so with what you say. The Bible says in Luke 6, 28, to bless those who curse you. Difficult people, bless them physically. Pray for them. Speak out of your mouth things of things, life to them. The, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Those that love it will eat of its fruit, the book of Proverbs. Speak life over them. Call out purpose in them. Love them with your words. Begin to draw the good out of them, encourage them, 
in your life, begin to share the love of God through your words. Pray for them. When's the last time you've prayed? Now, I'm not talking about what David prayed sometimes. We've all been there where he said, God smashed the teeth of my enemies. I'm not saying that. I'm saying pray. God bless them. Encourage them. Enlarge their territory. Bless them financially. Bless them emotionally. Bless them spiritually. God, break the bondage of addiction off of their life. Break the bondage of oppression off of their life. God, let them live a life that honors you. God, I pray that they would begin to walk in the favor of God, that you would use me, God, to be a light of change in their life. Did you know it's hard to be angry and bitter and upset at someone that you're praying those kinds of things for. Love them with your words. Love them through prayer. Luke 6, 28, where he says, pray for those who hurt you. That's speaking. Words, prayer. Love them with your actions. Do good for those that hate you. Luke 6, 28 continues. Do good. Find tangible ways to do something good for difficult people in your life. This is all countercultural, isn't it? Culture says if it doesn't do it for you, if they're difficult, just cancel them. If they disagree with you, delete them. If they're opposite of what you think or what you, how you voted or how you feel or your emotions or what you think or your opinions, do away with them. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, actually, Jesus says lean in a little further. Jesus says move in a little closer. Jesus says love them a little more. Give a little more. Those difficult people in your life, speak life to them. Pray good things over them. Do something physically to bless them. That's big countercultural things. I would say the fourth thing that is important, that it's a biblical principle that, that we need to see, is sometimes the best kind of love is a good boundary. Wait a minute, Brandon, you just said to lean in a little bit more. You just said to do a little bit more. You just said to, to pray a little bit more, give a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Do those things. But sometimes the best love is a good boundary. We see that Jesus rebuked Peter while leaning in. He had already said, he says, Peter, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He'd already blessed Peter. Peter was the one he chose to stand up on the day of Pentecost to preach the gospel. But he also set a hard boundary with Peter when Peter said, God forbid you go to the cross. I'll fight anybody for you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. There's times when there's a boundary that needs to be set and we need to stand close to that. We see it with Paul and Barnabas in the New Testament, apostles in God's church. The Bible reminds us that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways. Sometimes... Difficulty in a relationship could be the sovereignty of God to place us in positions to do things separately. It's okay to see that. It's okay to recognize that. We can disagree and we can separate and we can do what God's called us to do without being malicious to one another. Sometimes that's love. Boundaries are our, for, for our protection, not our limitation. I've learned this. Some people will only be palatable in heaven. <laughs> Isn't that true? There are going to be lots of people in heaven that we just could not handle well here on earth. And that doesn't mean that, that, that we uh, instantly delete them. It doesn't mean that we instantly push them away. It just means that we recognize our strengths and our weaknesses together. And some people will just be palatable in heaven and we're going to have to be okay with that. That does not mean push difficult people away, and it does not mean to not love them and appreciate them and serve them and care for them and be there for them. It means 
that sometimes when we set appropriate boundaries with one another, that the Lord is guiding us all and directing our paths to do what he's called us to do. One of the most beautiful things about the gospel that we see is that that short season of proper boundaries placed between Paul and Barnabas. They went, they went their separate ways on mission journeys. And the Lord used them both in mighty ways to bring the gospel to different parts of the world that they would have never done together in those moments. But after a season of, that, of those boundaries being placed, we see biblically where God brought them back together again. Sometimes boundaries are the most healthy thing you can do to love in a season. And maybe right now you're thinking of people that you need to place appropriate boundaries on. Who are those people right now? How can you love these people. Maybe these people, maybe there's somebody in your life you've got to speak life over, and that's what needs to happen. You need to start praying for someone. That's what needs to happen. You absolutely need to be serving and giving to someone that's difficult in your life. Don't just push them away. Don't let that be the easy answer. And then sometimes it may be God that there's a boundary place for a season so that God can use you in this season. What does that look like for you? Love them. People loving people is the enemy of all things evil. Isn't that good? People loving people is the enemy of all things evil. The last thing I'll share with you today, I believe, and we're going to add a little salt, is you need to treasure them. Treasure people. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. If there was ever a countercultural passage of scripture, stop valuing yourself above everything else. We live in a culture that talks about self-care more than they talk about anything else. Nobody's going to do it for you. You got to go do it yourself. You got to take care of you. Leave everything else. One of the, uh, one of the, one of the most detrimental things and as, as a follower of Jesus in my walk with Christ is to think of myself better than everyone else around me. I'm never more like Jesus than when I am treasuring other people. How you make others feel about themselves says a lot about who you are. Every unselfish act of love, Bob Goff says, whispers the name of God. Come on, do you value people in general? In general, treasure people. I see you as more valuable than me. Little things like when those people, when people just walk into the room, do you stand and acknowledge them? Do you honor people? Do you live a life of honor? Do you, do you acknowledge people? Do you acknowledge those difficult people in your life? Or do you go out of your way to, to kind of ignore them and just to avoid conflict and to avoid the awkwardness? Do you walk the other way or, or because you think differently than they do or you vote differently than they do? Do you, think, uh, do you think of them less than you do simply because of a different worldview or ideology? The Bible says Jesus never once thought less. He never once, he valued, he treasured people. There's no exercise better for the heart than reaching down and lifting others up. No better exercise for your heart than treasuring people. Then whosoever will would walk into a room and you would never look at someone who is incredibly ultra wealthy or, or famous or, or uh, some other kind of um, a prestigious person in the world and look at them different than the lowliest of lows that would walk into the room that they would all be treasured equally. 
that we treasure humanity. God so loved the world that he gave his life for humanity. Well, think about those difficult people in your world. Do we treasure them? Mandy Hale said this, there's nothing more beautiful than someone who goes out of their way to make life beautiful for others. That's treasuring someone. That's treating someone like the apple of God's eye. How do I do that? If you think about it, I don't believe there's any better way to honor God and to look more like Jesus than when we're treasuring people. Then when I go out of my way, in spite of our differences, in spite of the difficulties that we've had, that I go out of my way to serve you, to appreciate you, to love you. And through all of those things, it proves that I treasure you as the apple of God's eye. Think about that most difficult person in your life, that person that you go, man, I wouldn't spit on them if they were on fire. I wouldn't go out of my way to serve them and, and, and inconvenience myself to do something good for them. What equity do they have in my life? What good have they ever done for me? What, what, how, they're just all they've ever been as a headache to me. Why would I do that? When I lay those differences aside and I show un, no strings attached kind of love and compassion for them, no matter what they do or how they react, it is the love of God to those people. And I promise you, God will begin to shift your mind. He'll begin to shift your perspective. It will change your world. You'll wake up different. You'll have a different perspective on life. You'll love people more when I begin to see people through the lens of Jesus. Add a little salt. That's a vintage, timeless principle that's countercultural that I believe can change your life this year. Hey, I want to pray with you wherever you are around the, around the southeast, around the world, tuning in here at Cultivate Church Online. Maybe you're here today. And maybe you've lived your life in culture's, in culture's principles. Maybe, maybe you've made every decision in your life based on how culture has taught you to do so. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If they do to you, you do double to them. You get people before they get you. You get ahead before somebody else does. And the truth is, that's not in you nowhere. It's not gotten you anywhere relationally. It's not gotten you anywhere spiritually. And the reality is, if you're honest with yourself, you're just unhappy with life. You're unfulfilled in the life that you're living. I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer in just a moment. The Bible reminds us that, that we've all been there. We said it a moment ago, we, we are those difficult people. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us, except for the grace of God, there goes us. And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, God so loved us that Christ died for us to reconcile us back to him. And maybe, maybe being able to live out these vintage principles to those around you begins with walking out what that looks like to Jesus. Maybe today for the first time in your life, you would say, I need a savior. Man, I am that difficult person. I am that thing to God. And God said he so loved me that he would wipe my sins away, throw them as far as the east is from the west. Absolutely. You're here today and you would simply say, Father, forgive me. I'm so sorry I've lived my life in my own, my own decisions, my own preconceived ideas, my own emotions. And today I recognize that I need to begin to submit my life to the truth of God's word. Vintage, timeless principles that can make a difference in my eternity. And so God, Jesus, I accept you as my savior. From this day forward, I'm gonna live my life on purpose, submitted to you as Lord of my life. And I'm gonna, it's gonna make all the difference in my today and it settles my eternity. God, thank you for salvation. I love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.